Welcome to the Tech Sales Show, dedicated to making you a better seller. Recorded 4,827 miles across the Atlantic Ocean with Bobby Das from Houston, Texas, a father, husband, golfer, pilot, and tech seller. And Brian Evans, an expat in London, England, family man, 2X Ironman, and an ERP salesman. Both sharing tried and true sales strategies and providing free tools to make each week and campaign easier for you. They also answer your questions weekly. Now, here is Bobby and Brian. Hey, hey everyone. It's Brian from the Tech Sales Show. Thanks for joining. So this week, Bobby is out on a wonderful golf vacation. I just got back from Hawaii, so our schedules didn't align to do a joint episode. So we thought... This would be a great week to address something that I get upwards of five to 10 questions a week about, and that's about my move from the U.S. and the expat assignment that I'm on right now in the U.K. Uh, Expat just means this is a new term for me, too. It just means that I've left the U.S. uh, for the U.K. with the company that I've worked for for several years, Workday, for a couple of years. Uh, So specifically, I moved from Dallas, Texas, and we live just outside of London, in a small town called Windsor. Uh, if you follow the news, uh, you'll see over the past week, there was a really uh, big wedding out here that's literally right down the street from where we live in Windsor. It's a, it's a very small community that uh, was about 10 times larger than it normally is because of the wedding. But it was a great event. Town did a great job. It was a lot of fun to be a part of. Uh, I live here with my wife and two kids. Um, and it's been a fantastic time. So this really is an episode. It's a listener's choice. It's about the move. I'm going to cover a few items. The first is, and this is probably the most common question I get, is how do I become an expat? If, you know, if you're in IT sales, uh, whether you're a seller or a solution consultant or an engineer, uh, maybe something that's on your radar or something you're interested in, so I'll address that. Um, I've got 10 ways to, to start to think about it. Um, and then the, the next two items I'll cover are the hardest and the best things about moving countries, uh, as you would expect. There have been some challenging things and there have been some fantastic things. So uh, I'll cover that off uh, all in this episode. So let's jump right into it. Uh, the first topic is 10 ways to become an ex- expat. So 10 things that you should be working on or thinking about. The first is, is obvious, and then they're going to get a little bit more uh, nuanced is if you're if the organization you work for, particularly if you work for a technology company that is a uh, small, mid-sized company, you're probably expanding markets. Uh, ideally, you're expanding markets to another English-speaking country or region. And that's an obvious first place to look, right? If, um, if you work for a major company, um, then it's likely you're already in some of these other countries. And they've already got, if you're an account executive, let's say, there's probably already 200 of you in that as that account executive in these other countries. So you're not going to really bring anything differentiated to those regions. So you're best to look for a new market, a new region that your company is moving to. Uh, so start, start you know, put a, a feeler out on the news press and start looking for new regions that your company is expanding to. That's the first thing that you should be doing. The second thing, let's say that you're already very saturated across those different markets, is to look for product expansions. So let's say in the U.S. you piloted a product that took off, did really well, and now that you now that it's done well in the U.S., maybe you already have a team of a thousand people in Dublin, Ireland, or in the U.K. in London. 
but maybe it's a new product that they don't have experience with there. Uh, it's a great opportunity to take your product experience in the States and then uh, import that into another country or export that out to another country. Uh, so look for uh, growth in products. So first, again, number one is look for uh, expanding markets uh, for your company. Number two is look for products that you may be rolling out to other parts of the world. Those are very uh, quick ways typically to... Um, to get that expat assignment. Uh, the third thing that you should be doing and really should be doing all this in parallel is building your network. Uh, this was incredibly important for me. Uh, you need to know who the country managers are, who the vice presidents are of these different regions. Um, you need to build relationships with them. Um, I, do this through even things like LinkedIn, right? If you have, uh, let's say that your organization has a thousand people in the States, it's very likely that some of those people have a relationship with the country managers in these countries you're trying to get to. So search your uh, LinkedIn network, look for people that may have uh, joint relationships with those people that are leading and growing the business in these other regions and ask for an introduction. We did a whole uh, series on this, on how to kind of uh, use LinkedIn to uh, foster and build relationships. This is one of the ways that uh, I use to expand beyond the U.S. The fourth piece of advice is to, uh, and, and this is if you you have, um, you know, if you only speak English, then you should be look for looking for countries that may not be as obvious. You know, the UK is a very obvious one. Ireland is not as obvious, but business is booming, especially in Dublin, Ireland. Uh, so if you look at, you know, Microsoft, Google, uh, Workday, there are tons of companies that are setting up massive European headquarters in Ireland. Uh, it's English speaking. Uh, it's a great, you know, very portable way to move from the US to Ireland. The UK is obvious, of course. Uh, that tends to be the most common one. Uh, South Africa is not a very obvious one, but they speak English uh, for the most part. And uh, it's a very invested in region right now. It's a very fast growing uh, part of the world. Uh, Singapore is another one. So look for, look for countries that uh, speak English uh, because obviously if you're going to have to learn a new language and move, it's going to really, uh, it's going to be a challenge for you. Uh, the fifth one is study the differences. Uh, this is important. Uh, this is something to start working on right away. And I think people forget about this one a lot. If In the U.S., depending probably on what part of the U.S. you work in, the, the conversations tend to be a bit casual. Um, we even start emails off in the U.S. by saying, just getting straight to the point, not addressing, hey, Tom, uh, I was thinking about doing this. Could, you, could we partner together on it? It's really just get straight to the point. Um, what I find in Europe is that it's a lot more formal. And then some of the words are much different too. And it's not just the uh, the silly ones like bathroom doesn't is not really a thing here. It's the toilets or it's the loo. Um, there's about 400 different uh, nuances to the language, the U.S. language and the U.K. language. If your aim is to go be a professional in another country, you need to know what those words are because they make a difference uh, both in conversation and uh, when you're um, both, you know, uh, conversation just with your voice over the phone, uh, over web conferences, but also just over email. It's it's important to know the differences. Uh, number six, uh, offer to support a deal abroad, even if it's something you don't get paid commission on. So let's say that um, 
let's say that they're not ready to bring you over just yet. Um, you know, perhaps you could offer your services to help out on a deal. Maybe you've got experience in the retail industry and they're working on a big retail deal. Offer to help out on that deal for free with no strings attached. It's a great way to build relationships um, with the people abroad that could then potentially influence um, a job or an opportunity for you down the road. Number seven, I think this is maybe uh, the most important thing um, because without this, you won't get any of the prior six or the next three, is to nail your day job. Uh, you've got to be really good at the job that the company hired you for in the first place. If you're a mid-level performer, um, it's going to be a struggle, right? Why you, know, you need to nail your job in the capacity that you're doing that job to even be considered for a role uh, somewhere else, especially if they're going to have the time and expense to move you abroad. And then I think what's it, kind of a tag along to this is know why you nail your day job. Um, Phil talked about this, Wilhelm, in the interview that we did with him about two months ago. I uh, talked about doing more of quote unquote that. Um, know why it is you're good at your day job and what, it, and then the reason that's important is because what are you going to bring this new marketplace, um, this new region that you're expanding to, this new product that they may be moving out to another country? Be able to articulate that. You need to know it really well. Otherwise, you know they don't want just a top performer from the from the states. They want somebody that knows why they're a top performer from those from the states, and what you could bring that could be long lasting in those countries. They don't want you there forever. These, these entities and these countries want to hire people locally. Uh, they don't want to continue to bring people over from the U.S. It's expensive, not just from a salary standpoint. It's just expensive to move people across the country. You've got immigration issues, visa challenges, uh, all that kind of stuff isn't free. So um, there are costs involved with that. Um, so, yeah, seven is really know why you nail your day job, know what you can bring to the table is the eighth part of it. It's like why you nail your day job, understanding where they are in their maturity model, how you might be able to bring something new to the table that they may not be thinking about. Again, all with the end in mind. When you leave, you want it to be sustainable. If that's if that's what you're if you're bringing a new skill set, you want that to be able to last. Uh, number nine, if there's no expat package, move yourself. Uh, of course, you're going to have visa challenges. You're going to have tax issues. Uh, tax preparation for both the uh, U.S. and the U.K. is expensive. Um, visa consultants to help you get that uh, Tier 2 visa, that short-term visa, is not an easy thing. It's something you're going to have to work through. Uh, you're going to have to probably get a consulting company to help you through that. But if you really are uh, interested in, in moving overseas, uh, and it's a fantastic experience, then just offer to move yourself. Uh, and then finally, number 10 is, um, let's say you're not getting traction on any of these items. I mean, there are several that you can be doing in tandem and should be doing in tandem, but just go visit that country and set up a one-on-one. -on -one. If this is a, a country or a region that you want to, that you could see yourself living in for two or three or five years, um, you probably take vacations there. So take a, take a vacation there. Since you're going to be in town anyway, set up a one-on-one -on -one with the country manager or uh, general manager there, someone that you could uh, see yourself working for or hope to work for and try to work to foster and build a relationship with. you got to keep it all with a long game in mind. These things don't happen fast. You've got to raise your hand early in it, and you've got to do a lot of the, the prep work sometimes, uh, certainly months in advance, but probably years in advance.
So that is uh, 10 ways to become an expat. The second section I'll talk about are the hardest things about it. Um, so just for context, we moved here uh, for two years. We are halfway through our, our stay, actually just, just a little bit over halfway through our stay. Um, if you're, this is probably the biggest single learning for me, is if you're married with kids, don't set too big a gap between when you move out and your family comes to join you. This was incredibly difficult for me. I had no, I should have anticipated this. I just didn't do a good job of anticipating this. I moved out and then about three months later, they moved out. I did get to see them one time in those three months, but I've got a 13 year old son and an 11 year old daughter and my wife. And it was incredibly challenging to be that long without him. As good as the technology is, as good as Skype is and FaceTime video, um, it does not replace um, uh, face-to-face time with kiddos. Uh, so it's something we won't replicate. I won't send them back too early. I won't stick around too long uh, after they've left. Uh, two weeks is really my max. I won't go two weeks without seeing the kids and the family. It's too long for me. Uh, a small gap is helpful, though, um, because there's so many tactical things that you have to do to get on your feet, to get work set up. I mean, just getting used to working with your team and, and building relationships with your team, there's going to be some nights outs. Um, so, so give yourself a little bit of buffer time to get on your feet from a professional standpoint so that you can kind of get the ball rolling with the business. Um, that's helpful to have sometimes without the family, uh, without the family being here. Um, schools are a big challenge. Uh, not that they're not great because they're fantastic. We, as I mentioned, we live in Windsor. Uh, the, the, what we call private schools here are different. Um, but the, the private schools, the equivalent in the U.S., is incredibly expensive here. Uh, not to mention that you also have to line up what grades the kids are in. And that's difficult uh, because there's not necessarily a complete congruency between where the, our kids are in the States and where they're at here in the UK. Uh, my son's quite uh, a bit ahead in math, and they're not going to be necessarily as willing in to just uh, you know automatically put them in a higher math course. Um, they wanted to see him for a year. Well, after a year, uh, he's going to only have a year left, so is it worth holding him back for a year? Uh, their holiday schedule is different here, uh, as it will be for really any country, of course. Uh, they have... They really go effectively year-rounds with bigger breaks in between, whereas in the U.S. we're used to having a big, long summer and a big, long Christmas break here. It's a little bit different. So if you're trying to get back for you know the summer for a kid's camp uh, or you want to take the kids back for Thanksgiving, the holidays don't land the same way here as they do in the States. And if you're in the school system, they're not going to be interested in letting you pull your kids out of school. In fact, in the UK, I think it's about 80 pounds a day, which is uh, equivalent to about $100 a day to pull your kids out of school. There's a fine to do that. Uh, so we opted. That was a long story, long way to say we opted to homeschool. My wife is a former teacher. Uh, there are amazing online programs. Uh, it's worked well for us because they, the kids have been able to travel with me for business, um, and they get to go explore why I go work. Uh, they also get to go home. They're going to go home for a month this summer. I'll go back for a couple of weeks. So we just have complete flexibility. We're able to take holidays whenever friends fly into town. We can go take a trip to Paris on the weekend and not worry about school on Monday or Tuesday. Um, that's been incredibly flexible for us. 
Uh, some of the other items, uh, winters are tough here. This is specific to the UK. Winters are tough. It gets dark early here in the winter. So, uh, you, you know, from a, on the on the northern hemisphere, the uh, England is very high up. So it's it's higher than you might think. So it'll start getting dark. Um, sometimes in the late three o'clock hour, certainly in the early four o'clock p.m. hour in the winter time. And then it doesn't start getting bright until sometimes 9, 10 o'clock in the morning. So winters are really challenging. They're cold. They're rainy. Um, that's that. These are some of the tougher parts. I'll get some of the, some of the fun stuff uh, here in a minute. Uh, we miss our friends dearly. Uh, we talk to them all the time. We text with them all the time. We, we try to get back to the States as often as possible. And we have a ton of people that come in to meet us and, and stay with us here in Windsor, which is great. Uh, the kids miss their friends. We miss our friends. Um, and the, they say that the six-month homesickness theory, that's a very true thing. When we hit the six-month mark out here, uh, we had some massive homesickness, so we decided to make a snap trip back home and go see the friends and the family. And the food is different too, right? So as you'd expect, uh, there's not really queso here. There's not. If you know me, then you know I love a good snow cone. Uh, that doesn't, I mean... The food is just not the same. It's great. Don't get me wrong. We love it. We had an amazing uh, meal uh, this afternoon when we went out to uh, Notting Hill. Um, had some street food out there that was amazing. Nothing we'd ever get at home. Uh, but there's something nice about having a nice barbecue uh, back at home. All right, so the best things about the move. Um, it's got to be the travel. The UK is effectively... a a launch pad for us and I'll get to some of the great things about the UK but from here we've been able to go to Ireland uh, three times the Netherlands Spain we went skiing in Switzerland at the Matterhorn uh, we had lasagna in Italy uh, on a ski run uh, we've been to France three times uh, I'm a huge cycling fan I got to see the Tour de France uh, live uh, we've been to Paris twice it's an incredible city. I've never been there before. Um, now it's just a quick train ride. You know, it's a two-hour train ride for us to Paris. Um, Wells. The Wells is where my uh, his, history runs back through. I was able to take my parents um, back to see our the Evans uh, gravestones back from three to four hundred years ago, which was an incredible trip uh, for us. These are things we'll never forget uh, for as long as we live. Uh, we've got upcoming trips to Wales again. My son and I are going to go camping and cycling in Wales uh, here in a few weeks. Uh, we've got a trip to France. We're going to watch uh, the Tour de France. I'm going to take my son this time. We've got an uh, extended weekend trip planned to Scotland. Um, I've got a business trip out in Berlin. We've got a big trip in Italy coming in the, uh, in the fall. They call it the autumn. They call it the autumn here in the fall. Uh, we're going to fly into Pisa and then Florence and then Tuscany. Uh, and then the plan is, we've not fully vetted all this out, but the plan is to go to Austria and Germany for Christmas this year. So uh, it's an amazing uh, launch pad here in the UK. Um, and I've not even mentioned the UK. Uh, I love London. London is my favorite city in the world. And it's not even close. The bridges, uh, the people, the how international it is. Uh, the London Tower is what drew us here in the first place, drew me here in the first place. Uh, Westminster Abbey. Uh, today we went out to Notting Hill to see an open air theater. Um, the summertime is amazing, so we're big outdoors people. Um, it gets light early. In fact, tomorrow morning it gets light at uh, 4:54 in the morning, a.m. in the morning, and it stays dark late. I was out cycling in, um, 
tonight until about 8.30, and it was still very bright outside, 8.30 p.m. Uh, so the, the summertime is absolutely amazing. Highs kind of in the 70s. Um, I'm a runner and a cyclist. Uh, I live two blocks from the Windsor Great Park. It's a 5,000-acre uh, playground basically for for cyclists and runners. Um, I did a hundred mile bike race out in the East Midlands uh, last weekend. Um, it's just an incredible place for outdoors people. The the English are big cyclists, big runners, uh, so it's right up my alley. Uh, I think the best thing for us is that it's brought our family closer together. Uh, you're here. You don't know a lot of people, especially since we opted to kind of live outside of uh, London and in, in Windsor. It's about an hour, hour and 10 minutes from Windsor to London. So you kind of have to build relationships closer with your family, uh, which has been amazing for us. My son and I and daughter go see movies all the time. We play ping pong, ping pong here. Bobby will hate that I call it ping pong. It's table tennis. We play table tennis here all the time. Uh, my son and I go cycling, um, it's just been it's been amazing for us as a family. My wife and I had a date night at an Italian restaurant here in Windsor. Um, been really fun for us. Uh, so we'll we'll miss it uh, dearly next year. But we're moving back in the uh, January February timeframe in 2019. Uh, finally, I'll talk about kind of professionally the best things about it professionally. Um, the biggest eye opener for me is the it's almost a near requirement for UK companies to go global to expand their business. And, and really, I mean, by going global, it's first out to kind of the continental uh, European countries, France, Spain, uh, going out to Ireland. Uh, whereas a U.S. company can t- to grow their business, if it's a Texas or a Dallas-based company, they can very easily move out to Houston and, and, and triple the size of their business in Houston and Austin and then go out to Louisiana and Colorado and Oklahoma. It's so easy for comp- uh, companies in the States to grow their business. Um, and, and commerce is much more portable and liquid between state borders. I had no appreciation for this before moving out here. Going global in the UK is really difficult. I mean, look at You've probably all had over the past 20 days, 200 emails hit your inbox about GDPR. That's all the notices coming in your inbox are mostly because of a new European regulation. All these regulations for a UK, if you were just a London-based company and you decide to expand out to uh, Spain or France, you're now subject to all these European uh, regulations. A lot of these you're required to anyway because of the EU. Um, it, so it's it's difficult to to do those expansions. You got to hire people to do that. That costs money. It impacts your profitability. Uh, it's much easier again to expand a company um, from Texas to the East Coast. It also this is another really important thing that I learned is that it makes countries more reliant on one another for economic stability. That's why you'll see all the time. Um, you know the foreign ministers of different countries work and partner together. And if Greece isn't doing well, um, then you'll see France get involved to help support or other countries get involved to help support them. It's because it's in their best economic interest to work together and partner together uh, so that they can grow their, their, their economy and grow their businesses. If you know, it'd be like, it'd be like uh, Texas shutting down if you're a, an Oklahoma company that depends on Texas for commerce and there's big turmoil going on in Texas that would impact your business. These are the same challenges uh, that countries have to face with uh, here in Europe all the time. 
Um, another thing that's been good for me, uh, but it was something I didn't anticipate probably, is that the English are way more formal. And you're, you're probably sneakering if you're English listening to this. We've got a lot of uh, London and Ireland listeners. Uh, they're they're more formal in almost every way. Their dialogue with one another over email. And it slowed me down in a really, really good way uh, because you're more deliberate about building relationships here in the U.S., it's it tends to be a bit more transactional at times. Um, as I mentioned, sometimes you'll in the U.S. you'll kind of start your email and you'll get right into it. Here it's a uh, hi John, hope you're doing well. How was your weekend? Uh, and it's real. It's it's got to be real and intentional. Uh, but building relationships are it's far more important here. Um, and it's helped me professionally. It's helped me to take a deep breath, move a bit slower. And these relationships have been. Um, very impactful uh, from a professional standpoint and same with from a prospect standpoint as well uh, every even if you're in a, a, a 10 email chain it starts off with hey John uh, hope hope the morning's gone well for you and then you're getting into the to the business at hand um, it's very real uh, and if you're in and it's funny when I get emails from my my buddies in the US on from the company uh, it's it's kind of almost jarring a little bit because they, they kind of get right to the point in the emails. Um, so, it, so it's been helpful for me. If you know me, if you've worked with me, you know that I'm not a super patient person. Uh, this is for some patience on me. Uh, you'll expect some of these other items. Um, it, you're working in different currencies. It's really hard. I, still after a year, I still say dollars instead of pounds or euros or whatever currency it is I'm working in uh, with different prospects. The local regulatory requirements are all different. Um, you know, whether it's Gap or Sox or any of these things, they're all different here and you have to uh, um, broaden your worldview. And you've got to research this thing. If your aim is to move abroad, you need to get ahead of some of these things because uh, the, the nuances matter. The customers care uh, if you learn this stuff or not. Uh, and, and the final thing is if you can be successful in the on U.S. soil uh, for your company and you can replicate that success internationally, it can do really good things for your career. Um, so for, for me, for my family, it's been an amazing um, opportunity. I highly recommend it. Feel free to give me a shout at any time if you've got any questions, if you want to know more or, um, yeah, if you just have any questions at all, don't hesitate to reach out to me. It's brian at bobbyandbrian.com. Or reach out to us on Facebook if you've got uh, any questions or want to, want to talk about it. Uh, so for that, thanks everyone for joining. Have a great week. Thanks for listening to The Tech Sales Show with Bobby and Brian. Subscribe to their email list by going to bobbyandbrian.com and follow them on Twitter at Sales.